Father, thank you for our kids. Um, And Father, as some of them join us in service today, would you give them ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand the good news of the gospel. That you love them, that you love us, and that you sent your son Jesus to forgive us of all of our sins and to save us. Father, this morning as we talk about forgiving other people, would you please remind us of how forgiven we are by you. We pray all these things and everyone said, amen. So, uh, we are in this sermon series called Jesus in the Kingdom, and before we jump into it, um, one of the, I think it's worth noting why we have kids in service. We do this on the fifth Sunday, so there's uh, three or four fifth Sundays throughout the year, and we have five and six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds join us in here instead of being down there, and we do this very purposefully, not because we or I enjoy preaching over kids that can kind of be noisy and don't understand that you're like, oh, we're supposed to be quiet during this time. Um, know that I'm not rattled by that at all. So uh, so I, sometimes you just preach over little kids murmuring. I, this is what it was like for Jesus when he was preaching to thousands and thousands. There was little kids there listening and making noises, and, and it even said that uh, some people would bring kids to Jesus and the disciples, remember what the disciples said? <laughs> Get them out of here. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Let them, let them come. The kingdom belongs to such as these. There's a very, very scary statistic um, that says 80% of young people who say that they are Christians will walk away from their faith in Christ at some point after they graduate from high school. 80%. That decision that those students make doesn't happen because they were in a class at college as a freshman and one of their teachers made a remark about how ridiculous it might be to believe in God. The 80%, they don't walk away because one moment, they walk away because there's a number of moments that happen. And and the students, the 20% that never leave their faith, the reason why they never leave their faith, it's not because of one moment, it's because a series of moments after moment after moment after moment where mom and dad chose to raise their kids in the gospel. And I think that there is something particularly powerful about your kids being in service right here, right now with you. I remember, just a moment of being personal, I remember sitting in service at Foothills Baptist, the church that I went to until I was about 12 or so, with my dad. And here's what I remember about my dad. There was a kind of sacredness to Sunday morning. This is my dad. My, 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 my parents were split up. And so I'd go with my dad to church every other Sunday, and I'd go with my mom to church every other Sunday. And here's my dad, a single dad, 
And here I am, seven, eight, nine years old, and I'm sitting in this pew. And I'll be honest with you, I don't really remember much of what the preacher said, but know what stuck with me? Every time I looked over at my dad, he was just so attuned to God's word. And every time we sung, we didn't have instruments. Every time we sung, I couldn't really hear him, but I could see his lips moving. And every time we took communion, there was just this sacredness. And I'll be honest with you, the fruit of that, parents, you need to hear this. The fruit of that did not come when I turned 10 or 11 or 12. The fruit of my dad's faithfulness of treating that Sunday, treating church. We, we didn't miss church. <laughs> like we just never missed it. But the fruit of that, it came probably when I was about 25 and I had my first child. And so uh, I just want to say, parents, I think this moment matters. Uh, even though you keep going, shh, shh, this moment matters. And uh, I think maybe the most special moment of this service is when we get to take communion together. And uh, I believe it's an opportunity, mom and dad, to rehearse the gospel with your kids. To maybe go back in the corner if you need to where it's not as loud. And to get on your knee with your kids and talk to them. Explain to them what the bread and what the cup means. And I promise you that they're not going to fully understand. But one day they will. And it's going to be the fruit of maybe this moment. And, and so that, that's my introduction. Why, why, we, why we take a chance and let it be a little noisy on Sundays like this. Uh, and, and so, yeah, there's my introduction. Matthew 18. I want to start with a story. Um, this story goes back three decades, 1987 to be exact. Northern Ireland, this is when there was very significant political tensions in Northern Ireland. And one day, one of the political parties decided to take an explosive. And they planted it in this area. It was, it was a memorial day. It was, it was a special day they had in early November. Um, and there were some people gathered by, including a man named Gordon and his daughter, Marie. And uh, it was supposed to go off when there'd be soldiers near this monument, but it didn't. It went off ten minutes early. And so you have all of these um, civilians, innocent civilians, that ended up getting covered in, in this rubble. And Gordon and his 20-year-old daughter, Marie, were right in the middle of this. And they're, they're literally covered in this rubble. And, and Gordon talks about this story and, and, and he says that it, when it exploded, they're covered in this rubble and, and he starts yelling out for his daughter, sweetie, 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 are you, are you there? Are you there? And he's reaching around and, and he finds her hand. Can't see her, but they're in hand distance and they're holding each other's hands and Gordon talks about how he kept asking her, are, are you okay, sweetie? Are you Okay. And she kept responding back, I'm okay, I'm okay. 
And this is how the story goes. Um, after both of them got out, Gordon was interviewed. This is hours, hours. He's interviewed by BBC hours after this whole incident. And, and he says this, she held my hand tightly and she gripped me as hard as she could. And she said, Daddy, I love you very much. Those were her exact words to me. And those were her last words I ever heard her say. And then he, he was asked, what do you have to say to, to those who planted this bomb? What do, you, what do you have to say to those who are responsible for the death of your girl, not to mention 10 others and 40, 50, 60 others were injured? What do you have to say, say to them? This is hours after. And he says this, I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Dirty sort of talk is not going to bring her back to life. She's dead. She's in heaven. And we shall meet again. And I will pray for these men tonight. And every night. Once the statement was made... You know, it, it went viral, at least as much as it could go viral in 1987. And all of these people just blown away with amazement by this grace and this forgiveness. But you know what also happened? There was an outpouring of anger towards him. How dare you forgive them? You... you you are minimizing her death. You're minimizing the deaths of the others. You're minimizing the deaths and, and, and the victims who are hurt and the families who've, who've lost them. You're, you're minimizing it. Hey, you might even be empowering them to do this further. People were livid by this act of forgiveness. And it really raises a question. What does forgiveness look like? Or rather, the question that Peter asks, should there be a limit to your forgiveness? Should there be a limit to how many times someone does you wrong and you just say, enough is enough, you no longer get my grace? Is there a limit? And that's exactly what Peter asks. And, and by the way, here's what I love about this text is, is we can treat this passage about forgiveness at, at, at the incredible scale of a bomb going off and you, you, you lose a child. But here's the reality, guys. You're going to be sinned against probably today. You're going to be sinned against by a coworker this week, by a boss. You're going to be sinned against... If you commute to work, you're probably also going to sin against another. But you're going to be sinned against. You're going to be sinned against at home by your children. You're probably going to be sinned against by your husband or wife. So here's what I love about this teaching. And, and really, frankly, all of Jesus' teachings. 
Guys, this is everyday stuff. This is the everyday stuff of life. You're going to be sinned against today, and you have a choice in that moment. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And so, let's read. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, there was um, a, 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 a Jewish thought amongst rabbis in this day that you were to extend forgiveness up to three times. Like, that was a legitimate Jewish thought. And so, when Peter says, like, okay, Jesus, up to seven times, like, Peter thinks he's being generous. Like, Jesus, this is going to be pretty impressive. You're going to probably pat me on the back. Like, up to seven times. And what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, Peter, but 77 times. That... That's how many times you ought to forgive someone. They sin against you, forgive them. They sin against you again, forgive them. They sin against you again and again and again and again and again and again and again. What do you do? Just say it. Forgive them. Now, not seven, but 77 times. Is, is, is Jesus introducing to us a mathematical equation for forgiveness? Is he saying, you know what, um, get a journal and have, you know, a list of all the people and just start making tallies. And when you get to the 70s, you need to start letting them know, hey, you're at 76 and I got, Jesus said 77. Is that what Jesus is doing? He's actually doing something incredible here. There's two places in all of the Bible in which you hear this Very exact language of not seven, but 77. Here's the first one, or excuse me, here's the second one right here. The first one happens all the way back in Genesis chapter 4. Now in Genesis chapter 4, things have gotten really, really bad for humanity. Like people are just getting more and more evil. And there happens to be this guy named Lamech. Lamech is like the great, 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 great grandson of a guy named Cain. Do you remember Cain? Cain and Abel? Cain decides to kill his brother. Well, Cain starts having kids, and they have kids, and they have kids, and they have kids, and they're not very delight, or good, or righteous. And they've got this guy named Lemech. And Lemech is so proud, so arrogant, so evil that he begins to brag about it. He brags about it to the point where he writes a song about how incredible he is and, frankly, how evil he is. And and you find it in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23. He, He says this. This is like a song, a poem. He says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lemek's is 77-fold. In other words, Cain is, or excuse me, Lemek is saying this. There's, this. there's this guy. In fact, he's this young man, and he struck me in the face. And he, he wounded me. But you know what I did to him? I didn't just strike him back. I didn't just hit him back and wound him. I didn't do tit for tat. I didn't do tooth for tooth. 
I killed him. My revenge is 77-fold. And here's what's happening, and here's what Moses is doing as he authors Genesis here. Here's the reason why this story is in here. He is emphasizing you and my, our human inclination. When someone does you wrong, do you match them in their wrongdoing back to you? That'd be quite gracious of you, wouldn't it? Typically, you raise the stakes, don't you? We were joking this morning. Uh, someone made a joke that was, it, it was meant to, I was like the butt of the joke and made fun of me. And I had, oh guys, I had a comeback that was 77-fold. Because that's what we do, right? If someone gives you a hard time, you don't just match it, you raise the stakes. Someone sins against you, you don't match it, you raise the stakes. You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. Can I get an amen? amen. And all you kids in here, kids, if you're listening... When your brother or sister does something to you, typically, you raise the stakes, right? Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> Preach it, Cooper. Thank you. Yes. Cooper, I think you should get extra candy. Just let dad and mom know, all right? That was good. But Jesus is flipping the script, isn't he? Here Lemet goes, you do this to me, and I will take it this far against you. And Jesus says, if they do this to you, I want you to reverse it and continue to reverse it. And continue to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. There is no ending point to the forgiveness that you give. Now, Jesus sees this to be so important that he tells a whole parable about it. And this is how it goes. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, um, this is an extraordinary amount of money. In fact, the audience would have laughed out loud because this amount of money, it really didn't exist. It was like him saying... That, that, the servant owed a zillion dollars. It's literally like him saying that. One talent was worth 20 years worth of wages. One talent. And this is 10,000 talents. This is billions and billions of dollars in, in modern day. But in this day, no one was that rich. And so he owes a debt he cannot pay. Literally. Literally. And so it says, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. This was an actual practice of that day. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And we're supposed to laugh like you, what? You can't pay, like you can't pay him back. You owe a zillion dollars. You, you can't pay this debt. And listen to this. Out of pity for him, the master of that ser servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now let's just ponder this for a moment. He owes 
billions of dollars. Billions. And he's offered, I will pay it back. Some way, somehow, it's laughable, but he's still saying it. And the king has pity on him. And he says, you're released. There's no payment plan. It's not as if he says, I'll tell you what, take your bill and cut it in half. That would be very merciful, would it not? Instead, he says, let's take your bill and let's burn it. You are free to go. The debt is wiped out. And he forgave him. Just like that. This, Jesus says, this is forgiveness. They have a debt they rightfully owe. You rightfully deserve payment. But here's forgiveness. You release the debt. That's it. Now here's the problem. And, and here's where we get stuck. And here's the stumbling blocks of forgiveness. When we think about forgiveness, often we go to the place, and, and you, might, you might go to the place right here. You might look at this and go, well, isn't he like, he's overlooking the wrong, is he not? It, it seems as if Jesus is overlooking the wrong. It seems as if Jesus is enabling him. Someone might say, well, Jesus, what are you doing? He's probably going to go out and do the same exact thing. If he got away with it once, maybe he'll do and get away with it twice. Aren't you, aren't you minimizing Everything that he's owed. And friends, we need to understand not just what forgiveness is, but what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness, listen, forgiveness is not forgetting. That whole adage, forgive and forget, it's not biblical. Probably shouldn't use it. Should keep no records of wrongs, but it doesn't say that we forget and go, oh, that, that just never happened. It, forgiveness is not overlooking, it's not condoning, it's not enabling, and it's not minimizing. And here's the reason why we know this. If you go back one story before this, Jesus addresses this exact thing. And this is in Matthew 18. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, if your brother sins against you, notice, Jesus doesn't simply say, just forgive him like that and walk away. If your brother sins against you, your sister sins against you, your spouse sins against you, your child sins against you, your coworker sins against you, someone sins against you, here's what you should do. You should go. And you should talk to them. Tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. So Jesus is not saying forgiveness is minimizing it. In, in, in fact, it's, it's making much of it. Jesus is saying, I want you to go to them. And I want you to talk to them. So here's where I want to slow down and just get very, very, very practical with you. I think that this is necessary when we talk about the workplace. This is necessary when we talk about driving on the road. This is necessary when we talk about being at a Thanksgiving that's coming up. There's going to be some relatives there that you don't always see eye to eye with. 
Like these things are very necessary for us in every human relationship near and far. But here's where I want to get very, very specific. You have a wife or you have a husband that has a history of sinning against you. And they haven't figured it out yet. You have children who have a very well-documented history of disobeying you. Do you not? And, and here's what I've learned. Sometimes, you ever do this, parents, you think like, okay, if I just discipline them this much, they'll never do that again. Like 20 minutes is the magic number in their room alone, and they'll never do that again. Do you ever think that? Me neither. Never think that. But this is where it gets so practical. When your spouse sins against you, when your kids sin against you, when your kids sin against one another, don't simply look at them and just say, okay, forgive one another and move on. Don't do that. Don't do that. Or with your spouse. Let me just give you a scene. Let's say you come home from work. Guys, you come home from work, and your wife, maybe she's been at home with the kids all day. Maybe she's coming home from work herself. Here's what I've learned. People are tired at 5 o'clock in the evening and hungry. And amen, yeah. Hungry, too. And for some of us, just straight up hangry. And here's what, here's what's, here's what might happen this week. Let's just say this. Husbands, you say something. Now this, this I, okay, seriously, this, this, this has not happened. Maybe it's happened before. This, I'm not telling my own story here, though I am pretty bad. But let's just say I came home, and I look around. Five kids do quite a bit of damage to the house, friends. Um, and what if I said, oh, I really wish our house was just clean. Like husbands, like I'm not pointing a finger at my wife. I'm not. I'm just voicing my frustration. But somehow, some way, my wife hears that and goes, he just told me I'm supposed to have this place spick and span clean. Now, my wife has two choices in that moment. She can say, sweetie, that, that hurt my feelings. Or she can roll her eyes, give me that look, or just turn around. And at least in our home, I think we're more apt to do the latter. We're more apt to go, you know what? I'm going to be the bigger person, and I'm not going to tell them that they are foolish or mean. And so I'm just going gonna, gonna to be the bigger person, and I'm going to turn the other way. Don't do that. That is foolish. Don't be the bigger person. Because you know what you did? You just opened up a door... And you just said, hey, bitterness, resentment, will you come and make a home? It's already pretty dirty. Will you make a home here? <laughs> you're doing that. You're, you're, you're doing that. And so look at the person who has wronged you. Maybe it's your husband. Or maybe the, the script is flipped and it's the wife who makes the remark. And instead of rolling your eyes... Instead of turning the other way 
Instead of being like Lamech and getting 77 times fold, well, if I was, didn't have, you know, you're at work with adults and I'm with kids, you know, you, you, can, you can be Lamech and raise the stakes. What if you instead looked at him and said, I've had a long day. And that, that remark just, it makes me angry. And men, in that moment, I beg of you to be like this servant and to get on your knees. And even though you didn't mean it that way, would you get on your knees and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that's what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 18. When someone wrongs you, don't sweep it under the rug. Look them in the eyes and talk with them. When your kids sin against you, don't be like me. And this is what I can do sometimes. Just go to your room. Instead, may we see this as maybe the most effective way ever to communicate the gospel to our children. Did you know this? That the most effective way to communicate the gospel to your children is when they've sinned against you or when you've sinned against them. And send them to their room. Yes, discipline them. But would you sit down with them? And would you let them understand what they did wrong? And Zeph, I'm looking at, I'm looking at my boy here. Zeph and I, I'm going to talk about you if that's okay. I won't, I won't have you come up here. But Zephaniah, you know this, right? I, I, I go up to your room, and I say, what did you do? And he always, Zeph, you always tell me what you did wrong. And Zeph, you don't have to answer this out loud if you want. But what do I say? I say, Zeph, say sorry and ask for forgiveness. And you ask for forgiveness, and Zeph, do I say, and does daddy forgive you? And what do you say? He says, yes. I say, how do you know that daddy forgives you? Do you know your part? I didn't prepare him. He's a nervous one. He, he doesn't like to be up front, do you? But Zephaniah says, you forgive me because Jesus forgives me. And then I say, does daddy love you? And he, yes. And then I say, how much does daddy love you? What do I do? Do I open up my arms? And then all of a sudden he begins to laugh and we embrace. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you should do that. Do that with people who sin against you. Go to them. Talk with them. You're not minimizing it. You're not overlooking it. In fact, you're making much of it. And let it be an opportunity to exercise the gospel with with your wife, with your husband. With your kids. And listen to this. Forgiveness, it's also, it's, it's not allowing further abuse. And it's not escaping consequences. And, and it's not neglecting justice. Jesus continues and he says, but if he does not listen to you, let's say you go to him and, and point out what he did wrong. And if he does not listen, take one, of the two, uh, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidences of two or three witnesses. In other words, if, if they're going to deny it, if they're going to you know, kind of just keep on doing it, here's what you do. You should bring more people and say, this is serious. You can't keep doing this. I'm not going to be a doormat here. 
And if it gets to the point where he refuses even to the people, tell it to the church. And then listen to this. This is important. For some of you, you have this with, with a mom or a dad or with in-laws. Forgiveness, it doesn't always mean. When you forgive someone, it doesn't always mean that there is going to be reconciliation and restoration. It doesn't mean that. That should be our prayer. That should be our hope. But it doesn't always mean that. L- listen to this. Jesus ends by saying, and if you refuse this to listen, even to the church, if that person who keeps sinning against you, if they're like, you know, doing the fingers in their ears and I'm, I'm innocent, I shouldn't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not at fault, here's what you should do. Let him be. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. But get this, guys. Jesus is saying, here's what this means. It means that maybe you can't be in the same room as them. It means maybe that you can't be in a relationship with them like you're in a relationship with others. It means that maybe you have to keep your distance. But don't let that keep you from forgiving them. You still need to forgive them. It means you treat them as a tax collector or a Gentile. How did Jesus teach... How did Jesus treat tax collectors and Gentiles? With a tremendous amount of love and a tremendous amount of grace, did he not? And so may we do that to those who are not willing to be reconciled. Still love them, still give them grace. Now this is what forgiveness is not. What is forgiveness? Look at how this parable ends. But when the same servant went out, this servant's been forgiven. When he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii, this would be uh, like several thousand dollars. Not billions of dollars, several thousands of dollars. So, just a fraction of the debt that this man owed himself. He finds a man who owes him a hundred denarii, and he seizes him by the neck, apparently, and he begins to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Does that, does that sound familiar? It's pretty much verbatim what the first servant, servant who was forgiven, had said to the king. And now... The servant who's been forgiven, he has someone doing the same thing to him, asking for grace, asking to receive grace and forgiveness, the same grace and forgiveness that this servant had received himself. And he refused, and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him in again. And he said to him, you wicked servant. What does he say? I forgave you. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Here's the first thing we need to understand. What what is forgiveness? We just talked about what forgiveness is not. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness First and foremost is what Jesus has given to you and I, has he not? 
Forgiveness, first and foremost, is what God has graciously given to us at the cost of his son, Jesus. That's where we need to start every single time. That's where we need to start when someone sins against us. We need to go to the cross. That's where we need to go every time. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Now this word, this word mercy, in Greek, it, it's literally, it's pity. It's pity. And Jesus is saying, shouldn't you have pity on that person who sinned against you. Now go with me for a moment. When's the last time you had pity on someone who forgave you? Or excuse me, when's the last time you had pity on someone who sinned against you? Don't you have pity on people who are hurt? Don't you have pity on those who are helpless? And, and Jesus is saying, people who sin against you, I actually want you to have pity on them. I want you to have this profound pity and mercy upon them because maybe they're acting the way they're acting out of a level of brokenness you've never seen before in your life. Maybe they've never experienced the good news of the gospel. Maybe they just need a nap or they're hungry for dinner. I know that sounds silly, but you've been there. Forgive me, I'm just hungry. I love this. Richard Bauckham, a theologian, he says this, and this struck me. He says, I find it helpful to think of forgiveness as a gift. It's the gift God gives us to pass on to others. It's a gift because it doesn't arise out of or follow from what has happened. It's not the natural response. It's something fresh from the outside. And, it's, and, and so it's the new element that can change the situation. This, this gift of forgiveness, it interrupts the otherwise endless spiral of evil. You ever notice this? The vicious cycle of sinning against one another, forgiveness stops it. And it starts something new and transformative. It even interrupts the ordinary course of justice. It admits the claims of justice, but it brings something more than justice into the situation. It's the miracle cure we should never, ever have thought of if it wasn't for God giving it, to, giving it to us. That line was amazing to me. It's this cure. Forgiveness is a cure no one would have ever thought of unless we had not seen it first in Christ, in God. God is the first to forgive, is he not? Go read Genesis 3. Adam and Eve are not the first to forgive. They're the first to go, she made me do it. And so when someone sins against us, may we go to the cross and may we have mercy on them. Why? Because God has had mercy on us. And then here's how it ends. 
And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every single one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What is forgiveness? It's not done begrudgingly. It's not done out of a spirit of pride. Well, I better forgive them. I should forgive them because Jesus forgave me, so I need to do it to them. No, it comes from a heart that is full. And some of you, you need to forgive people and your heart is not full. It's broken, it's hurt, it's angry, it's bitter. It's not full. Do you know how we get it full? We go to Jesus, guys. We look to the cross. It's all about Jesus, guys. This is the only way we can forgive with a whole heart, knowing that Christ has forgiven us. And he forgives us over and over and over again. And Jesus, listen, guys, how serious is he about this? You get the idea he's very serious because he says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, like if you, if you can't forgive your brother or sister in Christ, Jesus is literally saying, don't expect God to forgive you. His words, not mine. And so I want to end by just giving you an opportunity to think for a moment. In fact, the worship team is going to come up. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? Is there someone you need to forgive this morning? Or maybe you've already forgiven them, but forgiveness is a weird thing where sometimes you have to forgive the person a hundred times for one thing they've done because that bitterness just keeps coming up. But is there someone you need to forgive today? Is there someone that you need to have a conversation with? Is there bitterness in your heart right now? Would you go to the cross? And would you be reminded of what Jesus has done for you, that he has forgiven you? I'm just going to let the band play. We have a nice acoustic set for the remainder of our time. I just want to let the band play for just a good... 30 seconds, and I want you to sit in this message right now and think about how the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to you. <laughs>